0: is a view to a kill.
1: Now this was a big turnaround for me because I suggested this in particular of all the Bond films because in my mind it was probably the worst Bond. And there's a very particular reason for that. I, so the film we're talking about is a view to a kill which came out in 1985. That was my cat. That was her opinion on it.
0: Yeah. And that I've, was the MGM logo version of yes, the podcast.
1: I was never a big fan of the Roger Moore Bonds and I thought this was the worst of them and in particular I remember I saw it on the big screen in Leicester Square and there's a sequence in it in which Bond goes into the office M's office and he's in the alcove uh, with Moneypenny and you see by now Roger Moore had got old and Moneypenny had got old and suddenly there I am watching this film and it's just it was like a days outing from the old people's home and I thought this Franchise is in trouble, and they just don't have a clue. And the thing is, when I watch it this time, neither Roger Moore nor the actress playing Money Penny, whose name is
0: Lois Maxwell,
1: look particularly old. I mean, they're not—they're not, they're not yeah, in the first flush of youth anymore. But the point is, I'm looking at this uh, from the vantage of almost forty years later, right? And it doesn't negate my feeling at the time. At the time, I was uh, a kid in his twenties watching this movie. And that's most people were of that age and they would have had a similar reaction to it so i think it was a valid reaction the fact that they don't look quite as octogenarian now when i look at them from my vantage point of where i am now it doesn't at all alter the fact that this i think the series had got old and it got very old and boring and stayed but that was my only memory of this movie and also that there's a lot of nonsense with grace jones and chris walker i thought it was just going to be rubbish
0: when i watched it i was in for a surprise well, I felt much the same way you did. Um, I'm not a big fan of Bond films. I love the books. OK,
1: now let me just say at this point that Matt, the, when I watched this, I watched it because Matt lent me the Blu-ray and he said to be very careful with it because it was part of his huge deluxe
0: Bond well, set. So when you say you're not a big fan... The last couple of Craig David films are in that one. Oh, what's his bloody name? I, I get
1: it wrong. every Craig. Daniel Craig.
0: It, I've not even then. If they were in single disc wrappers, they'd never have been unwrapped. You may not be a huge Bond
1: fan, but you've got a definitive set of the movies. I do,
0: and that's because the first stack of films, probably up to On a Majesty Secret Service, which is where it peaks at brilliance, are superb. That's true. And there's yeah. a reason for this, and that is that these books were written at a certain time, and the further away you get from that time, the less Bond works as a character, and the more you try and tweak it and change it and make it more appropriate for the age, the less Bond it becomes. And I don't understand why they're not setting these films in the period they should be in. Well, it I don't it know would make what, life so much easier. Just because it's the Cold War. That and... It, I, oh, it's so uncom- The new films especially are such uncomfortable viewing because you are basically watch a born film. Yeah, It's an action film. It's not a James Bond film. Oh, come There's on. They're so scared film. of Bond's so, attitudes. This... Begins
1: with a protracted ski chase and exploding a sledge, then he disappears in a submarine. There's a car chase across Paris after an attack at the top of the Eiffel Tower. Well, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on.
0: Hang on. So Let, let's go back here.
1: I know, no, but you the argument that Bond movies aren't, aren't
0: action movies. I don't think they. The books aren't action books.
1: No, but the Bond movies
0: always have been action movies. They've had set pieces, but the set pieces have always been for the benefit of the plot. The set pieces in this film are not. So the ski sequence at the beginning is yeah. totally irrelevant and it's it really only there for the snowboarding trick. Yes. And the snowboarding trick is then punctuated by a fucking beach boys like some toddler you know is mixing what? the sound.
1: <laughs> That's very true. So what happens is, I forget, the guy's in, in, is in a snowmobile and yeah. it gets blown up and then he continues to use a fragment of, of the broken snowmobile as a snowboard, right? Yeah. And what Matt's saying is that at, at a point the music drops out and the music is just... Excellent score oh, by John Barry. A good, it is. It is, good score. I think it is really good. <laughs> I was I was amazed because I thought that it would be over by now, but I was humming along that the theme. I mean, we're, we're digressing for a moment, yeah. but the theme uh, of "You to Kill," which they turn into a song, uh, "Step into the Fire,"
0: something uh, like. Uh, well, it, it's a "You to Kill" is the name. The song strand around. around. Oh, okay, but the
1: hook is something like "Walk, walk into the Fire." Walk into the fire. Dancing, dancing. Dad, thank you. So, the, <laughs> but the melody that is under that song, and he's used throughout, is one of his best ever. Yeah, it's really good, and the, the the music is wonderful. But what Matt's referring to is when this guy starts using this fragment of his blown up skidoo to to a snowboard, they suddenly cut in the Beach Boys, California Girls. Is it? Uh, anyway, it's a surfing yeah. surfing song, and it's just so silly. And the the point is, I understand that they're doing it for a gag but the, the Barry music would have worked so much better.
0: And what makes it worse is that there's a, a youthful exuberance to that song. And then... It's so at odds
1: with the, the wizened...
0: Well, up to this point, we've not seen Roger Moore. Yeah. We've just seen Stunt a variety... Stuntman pretending well, we've to We've seen be... Willy Bogner basically, in a variety is, of is, is
1: that a stuntman?
0: Well, this was the problem with Bond by this stage, is that the Broccoli's had become absolutely hitched to Willie Bogner and... Uh, Are Who's the names of stuntmen? Willie Bogdan was their uh, skier. He was okay. an Olympic skier. He was very good. He did all the skiing stunts. Uh, which are great did in this. One, yeah, um, I mean, We've seen it twice before, especially in On Her Majesty's Secret Service, same guy. And then you've got Remy Julian, who was the uh, the car driver who does all the car stunts. And by this stage, we'd have so many car stunts that the films have become about the next car stunt. Oh, the car stunt in this is really... I know what you mean. These are...
1: Lukewarm versions of what we've seen before. Yeah,
0: they, it's just you could cut them from the film and it wouldn't make a difference to oh, the I, plot. I,
1: I so felt that about the, uh, the the
0: car chase in Paris. Exactly. I mean that one's pretty bad, um but so is the uh, fire truck chase. It's, it's, well, again, it's completely well. we'll we're we'll getting get well that. ahead of ourselves we'll here because there's a big same. issue with no, that. The,
1: <laughs> yes. So, what was the original <clears throat> digression? Oh.
0: God knows. I think it was just a. It was the the um, the ski sequence at the beginning. The beach. Um, and the idea that the action sequences are not as they would be if you were reading a Bond book. The films stopped representing the books by this stage completely.
1: Well, yeah, and this this merely shares almost shares a title with a short story, and that's it. That's the only connection yeah, with mean the, that... the Fleming oeuvre.
0: And you could certainly say that for the newer films as well. Um, do, do you like the James Bond books, Fleming's books?
1: Yeah. See, I really
0: like them too. You but
1: got I, me to buy that wonderful box set. Of course, I did. Set, I do which if you turn around and look, you'll see it over there. Yeah, um, with the Richie Faye covers. In case anybody's interested, they're
0: gorgeous. I would love someone to adapt to the books one day because they really haven't done it on film. They've done their own thing for the most part, and the books are a revelation to people who have only watched the films. Because they're not as camp and silly. Well, they're not they're camp not or silly. As silly, and they're not as grand and they're not as big scale either. Um, we had this discussion, uh, I think, last week where we were talking about uh, Casino Royale where I said that it's basically just a card game. It is. It's a card game and then he gets his balls smacked about. A bit. I mean, that <laughs> is, that's the book. With a carpet sweeper. Yeah. yeah it's one of those books. I mean, that, That's it. <laughs> there's not a lot else to it. And they expand mm-hmm. that into a two-hour-plus film for Daniel Craig. And well,
1: you know, it's a different thing. I, I like Bond movies. I like their difference. But I'm not going to argue with you that the, I the series peaked with... It on her majesty's secret service because clearly it did
0: it, well i don't know I, it almost comes back for, for your eyes only well that's a roger moore film is it, that the one
1: before this I, I
0: think it's probably two before that. i think octopussy yeah. was between them okay um for your eyes only i liked because there were no gadgets and it was bond basically working on his own uh, skills using his own skills and it's more it's a smaller scale operation right. Uh, with View to a Kill, it's all very grand scale again, and it's a bit Doctor evil lost in powers.
1: Well, let me... My first question is, at the beginning of the Blu-ray presentation, mm-hmm. there's this disclaimer that, that... About the Zorin Industries. Yeah, so what the
0: <laughs> fuck is that about? They basically found mm-hmm. out that there was a company called Zorin, even though someone's paid to do this yeah. before filming starts. Uh, obviously. And they got into a bit of a panic. I think it was a pharmaceutical company. Oh, my God. Um, so, yeah. The Zorin is the name of the evil villain uh, played yeah. by Christopher Walken in this well, movie. Well, this is the other thing, is that... When people write down lists of Bond villains, yeah. Christopher Walken's never on it because somehow he's managed to get away with this. But he's, he's very good. <laughs> Isn't he good? yeah. And that He was an odd choice. And I didn't realise until I watched the documentary that what they actually wanted was David Bowie. It was written with Bowie in mind.
1: Oh, well, physically, he does look like... Especially the way yeah. they've done, done him up to look like... But, but Bowie and
0: doesn't Bowie have the did, acting chops to do it. He has the acting chops. I think oh, he would have <coughs> it off oh, because I mean. there's not a lot to do as a Bond Oh, well, That's true. But that's true. Um, his objection was it was a terrible script. And I think he shows incredibly good taste in this well, department because it is a very bad script.
1: I disagree. Uh, which, which surprises me hugely. Now, the script is by two guys, Richard Maybom and Michael Wilson. Yeah. Richard Maybom had been writing these Bond movies since the beginning. Uh, and then Richard Wilson, I think he's actually... Michael this, Wilson. Mike, I beg your pardon, Michael Wilson is the stepson of uh, Cubby Broccoli, I yeah.
0: believe. Anyway. That's he, how most of the Bond people make their way, is by yeah. marrying into the family. And
1: th- they, these guys have been the two writers behind the Bond films for the last three or four movies. Yes. Yeah. And the way, when you hear that there's two writers on the movie, it doesn't mean that these two guys sat down side by side and wrote it. What happens is they worked on the script completely separately, uh, and developed material in e- each of them, that it was combined, presumably, by the broccolis. But I thought it was... Uh, well, uh, this movie... Bond movies are, as you say, composed of set pieces, and a, a lengthy slab of this movie is all about Zorin's thoroughbred racehorses, and Bond goes to France, goes to Zorin's beautiful mansion in France where there's a, a stud auction going on I believe is what's happening yeah. and I, and in the middle of this there is the Paris car chase and a, a, an attack on top of the Eiffel Tower in which Grace Jones escapes by parachute, it's all dull, dull, dull Do you know why the
0: horses are there? No Cubby Brockley wanted to buy some racehorses he wanted to get into the racehorses world and so they wrote it into the film so that he would have the opportunity to include it in the film Well, well. that is so unforgivable because this is a well, this is the problem with these 80s films is that this is
1: what happened. But that's a really dud of a sequence and now I know why because I yeah. thought why did they think that this was a good idea because it's not even particularly like Bond does operate in this sort of world of the aristocracy and old money but this wasn't there was nothing particularly good about this racehorse yeah. stuff.
0: And the problem with that is that he goes in with a cover that is blown within two seconds so it's completely well, redundant Well I think anyway. we should just
1: draw a curtain over this and the thing is I thought <laughs> I just thought this was what the movie was going to be. And I thought this was as good as it was going to get. But when we then relocate the story to America, to California in the vicinity of San Francisco, it suddenly gets a whole lot better.
0: Yeah. I mean, there is still some good stuff prior to that. Which would be... I really, really like Grace Jones and Christopher Walken as a pairing on screen they look amazing together
1: they th- look grace jones is also very good in this I, yeah. and what i thought was interesting about her so she's the chief the billionaire bad guys lover but she's also kind of his enforcer yes. she's uh what is interesting is that she's a hybrid of the femme fatale
0: and also the jaws style yeah uh strongman she's convincing as well in that role yeah, yeah. You could. This could have been awful casting. They could have put someone in this that wouldn't work. But Grace Jones has the look. Oh, she looks and great and to the, pull this off. And the costume, her costumes oh, just look wonderful. They get ridiculous as the, Cost, goes the costume on.
1: designed by Emma Porteous. But listen, there was one huge laugh early on, which was completely inadvertent. Which is where Bond goes to Royal Ascot, which is this big time horse race in in England, and uh, he sees Grace Jones across, you know, across the track. And he says, who's that in the hat? And everybody, <laughs> everybody, everybody at Royal Ascot is wearing yes. a fucking hat. <laughs> I mean, she's wearing a particularly silly one, it's true. Look, but when you see the composed shot,
0: it's clear which, which, which hat she, he's referring to. Still.
1: But the, all which is to say, Grace Jones is, is... She's not really called upon to act, and I don't think she was experienced enough or well-directed enough to give much of a performance, but she's very effective.
0: I One thing that really... Has always irritated me is that there's a sequence right at the end, bearing in mind that throughout the film she's been a strong individual force all the way through. Um, and this is jumping ahead of it, but there's a sequence at the end where the mine has been blown up and there's water everywhere and she's yeah. trying to work her way through the water and something explodes behind her and she screams. I thought that too. Now, should, should, I've looked, I, yeah. I'm, this is John Bloody Glenn who decided it would be a good idea to not tell her there was going to be an explosion, so it's her own reaction. He thought, I thought it would work better. But it's not in character. It absolutely kills the character. Yeah. And
1: John Glenn hasn't got a bloody clue. Because, look, it's sort of okay that Tanya Roberts
0: is screaming.
1: Yes. But not that Grace Jones is. No. She plays a character called Mayday, by the way.
0: They undermine her a couple of times in this film, which is a little unfair because she's
1: doing her best. I also felt... I mean, maybe they just didn't like her as a person or didn't get along with her because Jaws... I don't know if anybody remembers who Jaws was. He was this towering uh, bad guy who had a set of steel teeth. Yes. Right, that's why they called him Jaws. Also because the, the movie Jaws was around at the time. But he, they he, they found that he was such a useful bad guy that they... Secondary bad guy, not like a chief billionaire bad guy. But he was such a useful henchman, they kept bringing him back. I would i was sorry they killed grace jones off from this because they could have brought her back in yeah. the same way
0: well i don't think she'd have come back i, I don't think it, it was, was not a happy shoot for her. well actually she in her book she's she's quite up about it she thought it was good fun but what happened was she decided to stay in character with roger moore on set yeah and he thought she was just being really rude yeah and so he hated her he didn't oh. like working with her at all Whereas she says in her book she loved working with him and thought he was great fun. And she learned a lot from him. And so from that point of view, yeah, you poor sods, if you'd have just had a little chat on set, or if so, if, or really if a director had taken more control of the situation and got everyone together and had a chat and decided which page everyone was on, it would have been a lot easier. Actually, I think she's quite good in her scenes with Roger Moore. But her, as a, as a pairing, Mayday and Zorin, I really like because they're so hands-on. Yeah, they don't send henchmen out to do stuff they do it all themselves yeah. he'll even drive the boat <laughs> well
1: Zoran's interesting because well it's a good performance by Christopher Walker, but he's he's a very exuberant murderous fucker uh, one bit did bother me a bit in that I think he's in a, I can't remember if he's in a Zeppelin or where he is but one of his uh, one of the other bad guys one of the people he, he's trying to get on his side as part of his cabal of criminals is a dissenter, so they just drop him out yeah. from a great height, and then Sorin says, "Does anyone else want to drop out?" Uh, and I thought, "Okay, but it's Bond should make those terrible puns.
0: No one should be making the puns, <laughs> really."
1: No, that's true. But having set up that convention, that's a Bond line. That's not not as bad guy line.
0: I mean, Bond has some atrocious lines to get through in this one. There's that night he. Um, just after he shagged Mayday, and Christopher Walken asks if he had a good night he's a little restless but I got off eventually no Right almighty no but listen
1: (laughs) on that note I want to swiftly move forward to the part of the film that I do like so what happens is that we gradually discover there's two very topical things about this movie one is that the target Zorin is a billionaire bad guy he's a product of a Nazi uh, breeding program and his target is to wreak mayhem and he wants to basically destroy Silicon Valley and also a large chunk of California. Silicon Valley is still very topical. I and mean, there's an interesting bit in this where they hold up a microchip and they say, oh, this is a microchip. And, and somebody says, oh, get on with it, Q. Everybody knows what a microchip is, which is good. Yeah. yeah but in those days, it was a relatively new thing. But so Silicon Valley is still topical. And the way Zorin is going to destroy it is basically through an earthquake caused by fracking. So it's, yeah. I just thought this is, and what's more, whether it is Wilson or Maybom, somebody had actually sat down and researched this carefully and worked out, you know, the the general logistics of, you know, if you That'll were. That be in, Wilson. It, yeah, you reckon? Yeah. Yeah. Well, he more power <laughs> to him. He did a great job. And for this plot, the way this plot works, the way it's structured in the film, is that Bond meets a beautiful geologist. Of course, I think she's called something like the State Geologist, uh, and she's played by of all people, Sheena, Tanya Roberts. Yeah. And I thought I was quite harsh on Tanya in our assessment of Sheena because I didn't think she could act. On the basis of this, I think she's a lot better than I gave her credit for. She's got
0: a big hill to climb in this. It's an underwritten part and she's oh, there basically... Is
1: it? I mean, let's, let us let me flesh this out a bit. The When Bond meets
0: You her. just described her as a state geologist... <laughs>
1: <laughs> well I, look don't quote me on a, on that she i think that they would have researched whatever her title was
0: properly but she she works for the local government and she's there you know It's explained in the script when her dad went bankrupt she needed to get a job and yeah. they created a job for her Great so it's not even a real job <laughs> she's basically there to check that little monitor each morning in her twenty ninety. Well <laughs> look so she's a geologist who knows about
1: earthquakes and she has a computer where she ex- examines earth tremors. She has a fantastic line later on where she says something like, If the spring tides are at their peak, then it'll have a huge effect. And I just love that. She, she knows stuff like this. She, she is like this beautiful um, blonde bimbo in appearance, but she's been given a character and some useful dialogue. And also, it's a brilliant setup. Bond meets her at her big house in the country and a bunch of soren's henchmen are also breaking into terrorizer and bond drives them off there's a number of great things about this stacy that's the character's name Tender Roberts' character's name, has a cat. And there's a really good jump scare involving the cat.
0: No, no, no. I won't have this. This is John Glenn's thing. Yeah, the jump he, scare? He wants to put a jump scare. Animals jumping out of unexpected places Look, is his thing. Okay, it was, it was a jump scare <laughs> that worked for me and it
1: was it had a cat in it. it wasn't I get the, you. Here's yeah. the other thing that I adored is that there was not, the, the cat features quite heavily, and there was not a pussy joke in it. Yes, this. there was. Well, the, the bowl has pussy the on it. The bowl does have the cat's name. The cat's name is Pussy, but that's all. They okay. still couldn't
0: help themselves.
1: I, I was so expected to surface in the dialogue. So what happens is Bond drives all these bad guys away from Tanya Roberts, from Stacy and her cat, and then uh, she goes to bed, and he doesn't try and shag her, which is great. What is even greater? Uh, ta- okay, there's so much. Uh, Matt's saying she's an underwritten character, but she's got so much cool stuff when bond first turns up he breaks into her bedroom the way you do when you're a british spy Mm -hmm. (laughs) and she pulls out this pump action shotgun on him which it it makes her very ballsy uh bond rather swiftly takes the shotgun from her and uses it against the bad guys which i didn't entirely like because it removed her agency but then the shotgun turns out to be loaded with rock salt which again is a lovely touch and there's a I didn't like the fact that she'd been marginalized by Bond taking the gun away from her, but there, then ensues sort of a, a big fist fight because uh, Rock Salt is non lethal. <laughs> it hurts like hell, it's non lethal. So he hasn't been able to kill the bad guys. And she eventually, she sort of looks on during the big fist fight, but then eventually she takes this uh, vase, which before she'd been desperately trying to avoid break, breaking, and she breaks it over the bad guy's head. And it's later revealed that that vase was her grandfather's ashes, she says something like, but Grandad always enjoyed a good fight, which yeah. I thought was a lovely line. And also, I didn't realize it at first, but the house is virtually empty. The the, the urn, the the uh, crematorium urn of her, her grandfather is just about the only decorative thing left in it. And that's because they've had to sell everything in their legal fight against Zorin. Yeah. So there's lots of characterization going on. But to get back to my favorite part in this whole movie, and the reason I love this movie is, Stacy's gone to bed unmolested by Bond having been rescued by him and he he stays to make sure the bad guys don't come back and we cut to the following morning Bond is sitting in a rocking chair dozing with a, a saw with a, a, a pump shotgun in his lap and a cat in his lap and that man with a shotgun and a cat in his lap you know Defending this woman without having tried to, to, to molest her is a really appealing figure. I mean, he's the kind of hero that I would vote for. I, you know, this is the kind of Bond I want. I just loved that. And I'd, I'd forgotten that.
0: The Bond of the books would not have fallen asleep.
1: <laughs> would he, I, I, why am I doing him an injustice?
0: Was he dozing off in that scene? He was asleep. Yeah. He dozed off with the shotgun, offering no protection whatsoever. Well, OK. That, and that, the cat was... on the lap, I think, may have been a nod toward uh, Blofeld.
1: Well, look, I just loved that... Uh, you're right. He should have been awake in that yeah.
0: scene because otherwise he seems incompetent. However, he is an old man and he <laughs> must be exhausted. <laughs> um, this is the other problem, of course, is that she is meant to be the romantic interest in this film, and it's uncomfortable and creepy.
1: Well, I I didn't find that at all. Um, not least because he doesn't look as old to me now, forty years on, as he did at the time. But uh, it is they're not they're not a great couple but she's such a good character i was really glad they were paired off never mind any romantic or sexual involvement the point is that whole slab of the movie which is most of the end of the movie is this whole story involving the the earthquake setup and she's deeply uh, intertwined with that and i i love that uh, that whole section of the movie works really well for me however there is that famous fire truck chase which you mentioned yeah. which is like what is the point of it so just to, to well, f- before
0: yeah. we get to the fire truck, please with uh, tanya roberts something that i did notice watching this on the blu-ray which yes. is the first time i've watched this blu-ray since i got the set this yep. is the 50th anniversary set that's the same one i watched yeah it's, yeah. it's it right there yeah. um when this used to be shown on tv and i used to watch modern films on the tv anytime they were on this particular film had a very annoying sound mix where I'm almost certain Tanya Roberts had been post-dubbed for every line. <laughs> and it sounded terrible in the mix because what they used... I think what they did was they down-mixed for NICAM when they broadcast. And it it sounded so bad. Whoever was doing the dubbing, the voice wasn't right. I didn't find that when I watched this Blu-ray. So I've got a feeling that they've replaced or just removed the post-dub. They've
1: restored who it Yeah, voice. or just done
0: a better mix on it or something. It sounds a lot better. And boy, does it improve her performance because... Prior to that, I've got a feeling it was Tanya Roberts pissed off in a recording booth, having to do all these lines again and reloop loop her lines. Yeah, and I get the feeling that this these are either different takes or it's the original I think audio Stacey or something. Stacy
1: is a really good Bond girl. I think Tanya Roberts does a good job, and I wasn't expecting to Stacy something. I wasn't expecting to say either of those things. And from that, the, the the second half of the movie really works well for me. They're, let's talk about the stupid fire trucks chase
0: look this is my other issue with these as bond films is that in this film i see bond actively out to harm policemen
1: okay so just to fill people in the bad zoran there's this earthquake thing going on and part of it involves a corrupt (laughs) local politician that stacy is working for and so they have to go to the corrupt politician's office in the state building uh Late at night, and then there's a fight with Zorn and Mayday, and the this building is torched. So the building's burning down. Bond rescues Stacy and carries her down to much applause. And there's this huge fire truck there. And the problem with the fire truck chase that ensues is there's no reason for it. What happens is the the cops are going to arrest Bond for some reason uh, because he can't prove who he is. And so to escape the cops, he steals this fucking fire truck and goes nuts in San Francisco. Is it? Yeah. You see, that chase would work if he was pursuing the bad guys, if there was an important reason for him to have stolen a truck, Just avoiding arrest by the cops is not reasonable. There are
0: multiple issues with this, because in the films prior to this, we've had the Sheriff J.W. Pepper character. Now, this is kind of a callback to that, isn't it? Yeah, where, for some reason, Roger Moore's Bond just has an extreme hatred for police. (laughs) Now, these guys are just doing their job. Yeah, that's... They basically got a guy who was set fire to tip this town hall yeah. and then stolen a fire truck. Of course they're going to chase him. Whereas if you they were a genuine set, secret agent... They think he's set fire to it, he hasn't. ...who is not only working with both the CIA and the British government. Yeah. Felix... Well, it's not Felix Leiter because they couldn't get an actor for it, so they, they uh, cast uh, David Yip instead. Yeah. Because he's been killed, basically that's it. Bond has no other connection with the CIA. It's not like you can just ring the CIA. Yeah. You've got to go to JB Dip, and then he rings the CIA. Yeah. Apparently, it would take a lot less time and a lot less effort to just say to the police, "Ring the CIA." <laughs> but instead, he assaults three policemen I and know. steals the fire truck. I don't understand the thinking behind I this, don't especially mind. given that they got. In- massive special permission they, from the yeah, governor of San Francisco a, to film. It's
1: a really <laughs> big chase scene, but the, but the point is there's no reason for no, it. They're completely unmotivated, so that would have been easy enough to fix. Just have Zoran and Mayday fleeing and and the only chance of catching them is, the, yes, is for some reason, steal a fire truck.
0: And this is the big problem with this and the six or seven films before, uh, well, four or five films before, it. how many did Roger Moore The more bonds. Yeah. Saying, and in yeah. fact, a couple more, the Timothy Dalton ones as well, is that Basically, if you're not English, you're the enemy. So Americans, any race, you're the enemy. That pepper cop, the sheriff Pepper. Yeah. But that was kind of a smoking a bandit type thing, wasn't it? Yes, it was. But yeah. it's still a police figure. I'm just just trying to
1: find the reason. What cliches they
0: were milking? That's all I'm saying. True. Um, it's really uncomfortable viewing because it doesn't make any sense. It, it just comes across as though they don't fully understand what this character was when it started.
1: The fire truck scene is fun and well staged and completely unjustified. He's fleeing from the cops, not pursuing the bad guys, and only doing so because he can't be bothered to establish his credentials. And there's no reason for him to climb out of the cab of the truck. There's a point where he does this Harold Lloyd thing on on the ladder.
0: There's just no reason for that. Well, here we go. Here's my quote. Then yep. Bond is a menace. Xenophobic films where any foreigner is an acceptable death. Fire truck sequence is utterly irresponsible, and there's it takes a lot longer than a simple phone call. These are police doing their job, and Bond is out to try and kill them. <laughs> yeah, we just we well, we we can both agree that that's, <laughs> yeah. that that's a very silly scene. And... Forms a huge chunk of the film. And at the beginning of this, I said to you that this is not a Bond film because the more you take Bond away from the books the less acceptable Bond is this is what's happened here: is they've just created this character now that is not Bond anymore it's just this guy because everyone wants to go woo, punch the air look at the guy get the cops is this really the film they thought they should be making?
1: I, well, they just needed to justify that sequence I've written you, Stacy is stuck in high heels and <laughs> shrieks uh, when she when something happens anyway, she, she does a, a bunch of shrieking
0: I mean, presumably this is where they're entering the mine, is it? Yeah. Yeah. But
1: And that's exactly the point we're making, that Grace Jones
0: shouldn't be shrieking, right? Grace Jones shouldn't be, no. Um, but you said that it was Stacey. Yeah, but that uh, th- 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 then you've got all the female characters being the same. The other problem I have with this, and this is quite essential to the end of the film, is if your plan is to blow up all these explosives in one yeah. go, why would you use a bomb with an... Ex- with a timer rather than one with a remote because that is just asking for trouble you know, <laughs> anything could have gone wrong absolutely anything could have gone wrong there is no allowance for mistakes here and it just beg a belief that it's got a booby trapped mechanism as well so if you've set off your timer and then suddenly you can't climb up out of that room or for example someone trips on their way out you're going to die now my thing thinking about the explosive
1: I thought it was very refreshing that it wasn't a nuke for once it was just conventional explosives oh that oh, was right. a refreshing difference
0: it, yeah it's just about two thousand sacks of uh, very nicely matte painted yeah. <laughs> I, i've written stacy comes good
1: in the end and attacks Zorin at the helm of his zeppelin so that thank heaven she finally gets to do something besides
0: running around in high heels the, the golden gate bridge sequence is very good i i think they do a nice job of it. I mean it looks a bit crap with all the back projection, yeah. but that was very much of the time and I, I you can no, forgive. I, that. I agree with you. Because you've also got that John Barry score punctuating I, the, the whole time. John thing.
1: Barry Score is really great. We can't say enough about it. I was knocked out by it. Yeah.
0: So, I I used to rent that out from the library.
1: I, I think that I might have to get the record of this. And I I couldn't believe, I, I find it hard to believe that I'm buying a Roger Moore Bond soundtrack. It's crazy.
0: I've probably got it. You can have it. It's a CD, obviously, but you can, it's the nice remastered ones. <laughs> um,
1: I'm just, I wanted to find the quote from Stacey. Well,
0: let's go for the quote from Grace James instead, shall we, where she says, I thought that creep loved me.
1: Yeah, I wrote that down too, <laughs> because Zoran abandons her. And leaves her to die in the flooding mine. I thought that creeped by I wrote that down too. Sadie's line is, if it happened at the peak of the spring tide for maximum effect, dot, dot, dot. And I've written, somebody's done their homework, which is really great. Oh, and there's a bit where Stacey's sitting on a bunch of dynamite in a, in a hand car. And she says, do you know what I'm sitting on? And Bond says, I'm trying not to think about it. Mm-hmm. Which is very obviously a joke about sex. <laughs> Apparently that Sex sequence parts.
0: where she changes her clothes, you know, where they he says I'm surprised you got one that fit. Yeah. Um, that was Roger Moore having a bit of a dig because when they got to the set and she was given an overall, she said, "No, no, no I need something that shows off my figure, otherwise what's the point of wearing it?" Well, that's true. Um, I you know I, it's I, actually I think it's quite a good joke. I think it works. It is fine. Probably one of but the only examples. So what things has happened
1: is that Stacey is always dressed as if she's about to go to some kind of ball has turned up with Bond in a fire truck at the big mine where they... All the, this is a great shopping list of things. Where the bad guy's setting a huge uh, explosion going so that it's going to set in train the flooding of the fault which will cause the earthquake. So they're at this mine where all the bad guy stuff is happening. She's still dressed up as if she's ready to go to the ball. And they get her a pair of overalls, but they don't get her... I wish they got her a pair of boots because she's tottering around in high heels despite being wearing overalls. I just thought that was, you know, not
0: good. Again, this is that uphill thing, is that there's so much she's got to put up with. And she's also got to shag Roger Moore at the end, which, yeah, she didn't need
1: that. (laughs) You know, I forgive that guy a lot for sitting in his rocking chair with the shotgun and the cat. That's the memory I come... The image I come away with from this movie. I was really surprised. At least half of this is a very good Bond film. It's got a stunningly good score. Stacey's a a terrific Bond girl. And as I say, at least half the script is very good. It turned out that the, the half that I didn't like... The
0: the horsey half was written at the behest of the dumb producer. Well, the dumb producer was the problem a lot in these. Right. Um, He got it done. He got the films made. And the films were big. I don't think they ever made any losses. But it does feel like the end of an era, this one. And it's weird when you see Living Daylights and you remember that actually there was still another film of a similar style after it, just Living Daylights is a lot better. um, And pulls it off. And then you've got Licence to Kill, which is just... So, th- so those two
1: removed. movies you just mentioned—they're not, not with Roger Moore.
0: No, they're Timothy Dalton.
1: Right, and they follow on from this.
0: Yeah, the the two after. Yeah,
1: there. yeah. Just to establish that and to remind me, because I couldn't remember. Well, I my memory of this was that it was the Nadir, the yeah. the low point of the series, but. I don't think so I think it's got some interesting good things going for it it's made me this is incredible want to watch the other more Bonds
0: well I mean, and, and there's something to like in most of the films usually like the soundtrack on vinyl please like the usually the vinyl soundtrack vinyl. is the thing to like and I, I suspect you probably don't like the soundtrack To For Your Eyes Only
1: oh why wouldn't I like that I don't know I don't know I, oh, I, I, I don't have any of the more Bonds as far as I know no, okay. I might have I might have the one that Marvin Hamish did did he do on this is that the Spider-Love yeah. Me? Yeah, that's more of a yeah, isn't it?
0: See, I don't like Spider-Love Me because there's underwater sequences and I can't tolerate underwater sequences.
1: Okay, you've got some very specific <laughs> likes and dislikes. But <laughs> this, is, this is our first Bond movie. and It it's, is. It's sort of like, a, it's a draw. Because I thought it was going to be a complete disaster. It turns out at least half of it is
0: very good. I thought we were going to be at odds at this one, but we seem to have both been on the Surprisingly same Surprisingly on
1: which... the same page about it, yeah. We should do another. And Bond. I'm so pleased that you knew about stuff like why that they had this stupid sequence in the very boring mm. stud auction.
0: Look, the advantage of the Bond DVDs—they did a set of DVDs, uh, probably early 2000s—and they all came with these replete with extras. It's basically a 40-45 minute documentary on every disc. Oh, I love that, and they are really good. If I had,
1: if I had had time, I would have watched a documentary about this because I was so taken with the film. I,
0: well, I assume they're on the Blu-rays as well. I have—I don't think I've checked yet. Yeah. Um, but i'm just going by memory and this is going yeah. back quite a bit but it's a fantastic set of discs and there's they piled it on we should have recommended that in
1: the christmas uh, you know well, I don't what, think what I you stuff it. okay it's well, we'll, we'll, now. maybe we'll look into that and then maybe recommend a set but okay so bond this is an unusual bond it's forward looking as well as backward looking it's oddly topical it's got a great villain and villain sidekick it's got a terrific bond girl it's got a half a really good movie terrific score uh, and a great sequence involving a cat. I you know, I was knocked out. I was very surprised. I thought I was in for a, a bad time and I had a good time.
0: Not a great title sequence though. No.
1: You Maurice Binder, is that the name of the yeah. guy Is that?
0: It was very disappointing. Not I agree. Not one of his best. He's, he's, I could agree. I agree. I, he clearly took a week off that and then thought, oh, shit, I was meant to do that title sequence. i have to knock it, it up was, in a weekend. No,
1: no, it was it was a very weak title sequence. I was surprised to see that it was by him. The guy yeah. who had been doing these great title sequences since the first movie.
0: And again, the documentaries, there's one just about him and it's well worth watching because you see the effort that goes into some well, of these and the effort that doesn't go into others.
1: Yeah, and, and I don't like the Duran Duran song. I mean, they're not? not they're not as bad... As uh, what's the other talk talk uh, run run? You know, stand by me. Uh, they're they're like Norwegian or something. Oh, aha.
0: Uh-huh. Aha, uh-huh, thank you. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, yeah, they did living daylights. Yeah,
1: and so they're even worse. But I don't think much of Duran Duran. But the song itself, the the music, the melody is wonderful. And Barry, um, I was reminded again how fab he is. I wonder if maybe we should do another Bond film at some point. We should no, not at some point. Some point soon. Do you want to do *Living Daylights*? Yeah, let's. I'll just be you. Just guide me through the moors because. Uh, well, I, that's Timothy Dalton. Oh, okay.
0: Yeah.
1: Interesting. Does ever Barry score?
0: I th- it's probably the last one that does.
1: Okay, well then, that, that, because I have no memory of the Dalton ones because I get them mixed up with the uh, the next guy, Pierce Brosnan. I get those of all just yeah. melted together in my mind, and neither of them I think are a patch on Daniel Craig, whom I know you don't like. But let's say so we'll do some more Bonds. I'd love to. We'll,
0: we'll, we'll slip forward a little bit, then we'll slip back and do maybe yeah. a Connery.
1: Yeah, that, that'd be terrific. I mean, there's a lot to be had, and I also must check out some of these extras. Anyway, thank you for giving me a chance to revisit this film and being surprised by it. This has been a podcast by my friend Matt West and myself, Andrew Cartmel. But very importantly, the music, the fabulous music you heard at the beginning and that you're listening to now is by Joe Kramer. Thank you very much, Joe. Eh, hey, voila. Quiche, big happy Sounds interesting. Mmm. What is it? An omelette.